Good night, Winchester. I'm your host, Lance Gunner Wines, and this is yet another humble episode of Late Nights with Lance, Winchester's favorite and only late night talk show. So, today is Monday, March 28th. It's about a quarter after 10 in the evening. And this is my third attempt at this episode, right? And that seems to be a common theme, a common denominator in my recent recordings. Um, It's not necessarily, you know, that I don't want to speak on certain things or do want to mention certain things, and I have to find ways to speak on them truthfully, but in the proper light, in the proper way, uh, the tonality, the medium for which I express, um, but just the quality and, and I guess truly the the mode of which I'm going to discuss these events, right? So I recorded probably about an hour and a half, maybe about an hour and 45 minutes of content regarding this specific episode and the events that are going to um, be discussed. And it was pretty good, right? It was pretty good. Um, I think the, f- the first part was sort of introducing a title and a theme that I had planned because, you know, people like themes, people like lists, people like when things are organized and they're easier to ingest and digest and then uh, expel, I guess. And so the first part was about the theme, which I thought was pretty creative, but I don't think I'm going to stay with. Uh, I decided to work on the theme last. And then the second part was sort of an introduction to my mind or to my my mental, my headspace going into the day in question that everyone is tuning into this episode to hear, right? Everyone is listening to this episode. Uh, for those who are, are tuning in who aren't uh, regular listeners or aren't my usual uh, fan base, are tuning in because they want to hear my thoughts, feelings, emotions regarding a specific event and certain things that occurred on a specific day, right? Um and I've been thinking about my my way of communicating those events and how I want it to come across, you know, and that's that's difficult, right? When you're talking about other people, you're talking about sensitive subjects, sensitive topics, you're talking about something that, you know, and, and this is something I've learned is you you truly, they say, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. I take that more literally to mean you can't please anyone at any time, right? There's truly no pleasing anyone. That's just the way it works is everyone is going to, everyone lives in their own reality, right? Their own subjective, personal, egocentric reality where they're the first person, right? They have the POV um, and they look through things or examine things through their own lens, through their own identity, right? And and that's a, a lot of what love is as well as we love in our love language, instead of the love language of the people uh, that we are supposedly loving. And in that regard, I don't want to tell these stories through just my perspective, because I know that I'm biased, right? I obviously uh, have some, you know, I may do a a better job than, than most of hiding my bias and talking about things objectively, reasonably, uh, you know, prudently and in a more accurate, factual sense. Um, but that still doesn't mean I don't have inherent, uh, you know, latent biases deep within. Uh, that's that's the human condition. Truly is, is the human condition is to be a hater, <laughs> I guess. And so when I talk about uh, these events that transpire, when I talk about things 
heavily related to the heart. Um, I had to make sure that my head and my heart are in the same place, right? My heart is where my head's at and my head's where my heart's at. Uh, because if I don't, it's it's going to come off in a certain way uh, that I don't want. I want people to listen to this and know that every word that I'm going to speak is thoughtfully crafted to present this information and my thoughts, feelings, emotions in the truest sense, in the least ambiguous sense, and in a way that is just is accurate and that you can take it for value, right? I don't want people to have to take this with a grain of salt or say, well, Lance is, is saying this or presenting this in a way that he thinks will sell better or that will go over better. Because I really don't give a shit about that, right? I mean, to some extent, I do. Obviously, when you present some sort of content and when you speak on your life, you do want to present it in a certain way. I, I want to speak... Um, both practically and in, in terms of content, I want to speak well. Um, but these stories and this one in particular is so personal that it's not, I don't really care as much about that aspect of it so much as I want people to know that this is genuine and that it was, it wasn't just spewing my feelings in the moment. These are thoughts, feelings, emotions that I've sat on for a long time that I just want to get out. Right. So I just want to clarify that anything you hear from this moment forward is something that, you know, if I haven't thought about it thoroughly uh, and completely um, at this point, as I say it, if I say something that I don't think is, is proper or accurate, I intend to correct it immediately because I do want the audience and, and certain listeners in particular to take this how it is. Right. I, I don't. I think one problem we have in communicating, not just in our generation, but in the in this world, is that people, and of course it doesn't help that we speak, you know, less and less in person and more and more um, impersonally, right, uh, through, you know, text messages, emails, phone calls, whatever, those things take away the tone, the um, sort of, I guess, the proper enunciations, the proper... Uh, etiquette of speaking to the point where, you know, some people may say things or type things and the words are exactly what they mean, but they're not being read in the proper sense. They're being read through your mental voice and not the voice of the person actually producing that information, right? So this is my voice. Uh, you know, like I said, this I'm Lance Gunnar Wines. This is Late Nights with Lance. Um, and so this is me, right? This is real. This is genuine. And I'm going to say it the way I want it to be remembered. I'm going to say it the way I want it to be heard. And I want that to be respected. Uh, and I also want to respect, put some respect on the names of the people I'm going to I'm going to speak about, right? Um, one thing that is very important to me it's it's the number one rule of the show, right? I mean, it's pretty much, it's just me, right? It's me in a room with a microphone set up with the, you know, garage band and, you know, going through Spotify and all that shit. It's just me. So I had to hold myself to my own code of ethics, right? I create the rules that I abide by sort of like Congress, right? But Congress doesn't follow the rules. My number one rule is to never speak about someone on this show in a negative light. I intend to and have and always will in practice attempt to shine the best possible light 
on the subject of a story. I will always speak on or put someone in their best possible light. I may think that they're wrong. I may think that they are, um, you know, in the wrong or have caused harm or are difficult or insulting. I may think maybe a little bit poorly of the person in that moment. I usually don't think poorly of people um, for long periods of time, right? I usually, I don't, I hold grudges against ideas, not people. Um, And so my point is to speak on people in the best possible light. And when it comes to the subject of this episode, I think that's the most important. She's the reason I have that rule, honestly. She's the reason I have that rule. Um, And I wish that other people, uh, I wish everyone um, would abide by that rule, truly. I wish that people would always consider, I mean, you can think what you will, right? I mean, you have the, the freedom of thought. Your mind is your own world. Um, and you can hide whatever you want in, in the deep reptilian parts of your brain. But I do wish that people would truly just be kinder to others, you know, be better, uh, (laughs) be better, be best as former first lady Melania Trump would say, I I truly do wish that people would be kinder to others, uh, and speak, uh, only put goodwill out into the universe, right? It doesn't matter how much someone has harmed me. I usually speak well of them. I, I can I can find the the light in anyone in any room. I can speak highly of anyone, no matter what they've done to me. There's always something. There's everyone has a redeeming quality, um, and it's a shame that when most people speak about others and, and me in particular, the redeeming quality has to do just that. It has to redeem me, right? And I don't look at redeeming qualities as redemption because the way I speak, people don't need redemption. Uh, but, you know, redemption's on your mind when you think about me, as Drake said. So what episode is this, right? People are like, what the hell? This is a pretty interesting uh, intro. Why did I play uh, Hozier? Uh, and I'll get into that in a sec. This episode is the third uh, piece of the Good Karma series. Um, which, of course, there's an indeterminative uh, number of episodes in this series. It, it could be... Uh, an infinite number, depending on how it goes. But the reason, or or the the reason for the season, the purpose of this episode is it's another fifty fifty episode, right? It's another fifty fifty episode. It's another Suki episode. But neither fifty fifty nor Suki are the subject of this particular episode, which is why I've struggled with the theme. I've struggled with what to talk about or, or how to put this together because while this is the story started as another Suki story, another 50-50 drag bingo, you know, rendezvous with a, a strange love. This is, at its heart, at its core, an Ivy story, right? And the Ivy stories, uh, I didn't want to call this just another Ivy story. I didn't want to call this the definitive Ivy story, but that's what this episode is. Um, the the casual themes were sort of hijacked uh, or commandeered by this additional piece to the puzzle this time. And that's why people are tuning in, is because they know that this is, in fact, an Ivy story. And so my two previous attempts at this episode, the reason that they don't exist anymore, is because I think there was too much um, backstory. I think there was too much backstory in those episodes, which everyone's like, oh my god. Lance has come to this grand conclusion, had an epiphany that there may be too much backstory. There may be such thing as too much backstory. 
And the backstory I included was about my my mental space, right? My where my mind was leading up to the 25th, March 25th. And I'm just going to run through that real quick and then we can jump into the story because I think that's the purpose. So the first uh, piece of backstory, so the initial theme for this episode was going to be three dinners and a funeral. That's what it was going to be called, three dinners and a funeral. And it was going to be referring to a dinner I had by myself at TGI Fridays, a dinner I had with uh, Hunter, his family and friends celebrating um, his match day where he's going to be uh, doing his, I forget what the term is, um, his residency at the University of Alabama. We were celebrating that. And then the third dinner, uh, obviously, was the dinner at 50-50. The funeral was going to be sort of like a, um, you know, double entente, double meaning of the fact that this all occurred on my dad's birthday. May he rest in peace. And also the funeral for myself, considering that, you know, rest in peace, my ex-girlfriend walked into this bar. Um, so sort of, you know, three dinners and a funeral. And I was like, well, that's a lot of explanation, right? I, not only am I going to have to explain the three dinners and the funeral for those who are casual listeners or those who are new listeners, I have to explain what the title means and then go into detail about the actual events. And I was like, that's kind of a lot. The second theme was going to be Beware the Ides of March. And I thought about making a pun there, uh, but it was going to be the Ides of March because this all occurred, obviously, in the month of March. There was a lot going on, and it was going to be a reference to that phrase, uh, which is a legend of what a common beggar said to Emperor Julius Caesar prior to his assassination. Um, And it it was going to tie into my favorite quote, which is uh, from the book Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. Uh, And it's talking about uh, the quote just off the top of my head is, the books are to remind us what asses and fools we are. Uh, They are Caesar's praetorian guard telling him as the parade roars past, remember Caesar, thou art mortal. And that's my favorite quote, both as a whole and also out of context with the remember Caesar, thou art mortal. Um, and that was going to be sort of, that tied more into my mental space, right? I People say my mental, but into my mind, into my headspace, um, where I am emotionally, mentally, and so on. Um, where I, I've come to terms with my mortality, uh, luckily in time to prevent my own assassination, if you will, it, it, obviously, rhetorically speaking. Um and that quote's really important to me, right? My uh, my password on my MacBook is the name of the title character or the main character of Fahrenheit 451. And when you have like a hint where it's like, oh, did you forget your password? Here's your hint. It says, remember, Caesar, thou art mortal. And so I see that quote, you know, a dozen times a day. And I, it stuck with me since um, summer 2009 when I read that book from Miss Steele's class, which was Advanced English 9. Uh, shout out to Miss Steele. Anyway, so I thought about doing the March theme because all of these things that happened in March, there was the beginning of March uh, with my dinner at Fridays. The Literally on the Ides of March, the day that Julius Caesar was assassinated is when I had dinner with Hunter and his family and friends. And then the end of March, uh, which was, you know, the, the birthday of uh, my father, my deceased father, was when all this went down at 50-50. So there's sort of a lot of uh, interesting Shakespearean context that was in play. And it just seemed to go together well with the Ides of March, right? Beware the Ides of March. 
Uh, they have come, and I remain. They have come, but they have not gone. Uh, and so I was like, eh, you know, that's that's a great one. But again, I have to spend, I spent the first hour and a half of the episode talking about two dinners that people don't really give a shit about, right? Or, or it's not that they don't give a shit, but it's not why they tuned into this specific episode. They would be good for a separate episode, which is why I'm going to glance over them at the end as sort of a, a retrospective, right? I think that retrospective is better because we can jump right into the main uh, topic of conversation. So I don't know if I'm going to do ads on this episode. Uh, again, I don't really give a shit about the ad revenue. It's not important. Uh, what is important is the content is, is what I'm speaking on. So I'm going to jump into this story, right? That's sort of where we are, where we've been, where we're going, as Jimmy V said. Um, and so I'm going to jump into this, and hopefully it's uh, exciting. Hopefully everyone enjoys it. So the date in question uh, for which this episode is is created is March 25th of 2022. So three days ago at this point, because uh, today is Monday, March 28th, so this was... Uh, Friday, March 25th, and as I noted, it was uh, my late father's birthday. He was born on March 25th, 1965. He would have been 57 years old. Um, my parents and I are 30 years apart, and then my mother's parents and her are 30 years apart, and I was kind of hoping to keep that tradition alive in my life, uh, considering everyone had that, like, I'm going to be married and have my first kid by 25, I'm going to have my life together, and not only did that not happen because of my own stupidity, it also didn't happen because a deadly disease ravaged the earth uh, in a weird apocalypse now type type sense. So uh, there's still time for me to make it to 30, but uh, considering I'm going to be 27 in July, um, I mean, I fell in love quickly, obviously, as is alluded by the Good Karma episodes, uh, which I do recommend you go back and listen to. It's going to be hard. I'm going to be hard pressed to find uh, a significant other, a spouse, a fiance, a wife, and, and have a child uh, by 30. So that tradition in my family may be broken because of me, which that's unfortunate, but I'd rather be happy later than for something now and be miserable. You know what I mean? Um, which is something I'll talk about later. So my father, like I said, uh, 30 years. Um, removed from me uh so he had me when he was uh 30 and my mother she was 29 she was 32 days later uh which is yeah, kind of crazy but anyway he passed away obviously on January 9th of 2020 uh which is Dave Matthews birthday right 0109 uh which is a special number uh it's also my password at work right it's funny so my password at home is, you know, remember Caesar, thou art mortal. My password at work is 0109. I haven't decided if it's if it's for my late father or if it's for Dave Matthews or, or for uh, the the prodigy of Dave Matthews. Um, but that's a that's another conversation later. And I had to work on Friday, right? As one does when you're an adult and when you have failed the bar exam, when you failed the bar exam three times, you got to fucking work Fridays. Um and so I went into work. I opened, uh, luckily, which was nice because if I had closed, I would have missed the excitement that happened later that evening. Well, I wouldn't have missed all of it, but most of it. And this episode wouldn't exist in the capacity that it does. Had I not opened on Friday and had I closed instead, this episode would have been a more traditional uh, Pints of Good Karma episode, a traditional Suki episode, 
and I would have spent the time, I would have felt like I could have spent the time on those two previous dinners uh, and done the three dinners and a funeral theme. But the universe, God, and their infinite wisdom, and her infinite wisdom had other plans. So I worked, and uh, all day I... It's like one of those things where you remember back in the day on social media where someone would like go to the emergency room, go to the hospital, and they would like post a picture of their uh, hospital admissions bracelet or post a picture in the hospital bed. And then they'd be like, uh, you know, don't worry about it. I'm okay. And it would be like to sort of get that attention. It's like you didn't want to bring it up, but you wanted other people to bring it up so you could talk about it. That was kind of like my day on Friday. Right. Because obviously I have strong feelings about my father. I have strong feelings about his life and his death and my relationship with both, um, as I've alluded to on social media. And I wanted people. It's one of those things where when you work in customer service, especially when you're working from, you know, 930 to 530 and the store is open, you know, at 10 o'clock. So you're working all day in customer service. People ask you uh, casually in passing, like, how are you? How's your day? How's it going? And most people would say, good, fine, you know, whatever, great, you know, live in the dream, as Alex Pooner says. The the real depressed people say live in the dream. That's how you know people are fucked. Um, and so people would ask, you know, hey, how are you doing? Like, how's it going? What's going on? I'd be like, yeah, you know, doing good, doing fine, doing well, you know, whatever. Uh, which, of course, fine is, you know, fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's what fine stands for. Uh, thanks, Steven Tyler and, and Joe Perry for that. But, um... You know, I couldn't bring it up, right? You can't just bring it up in, in conversation. Hey, how how you doing, sir? Is this all for you? Yeah, how you doing? How's the day going? Uh, you know, today's my dad's birthday. They'd be like, oh, cool. I hope you, how are you going to celebrate? And I'd be like, well, I'm going to go see his dead body uh, in a field on a mountain. You know what I mean? Like, you can't really, you can't say that to someone. I mean, you could, I guess, theoretically. The liquor store would be the best place to do it. But I, I chose not to. And um, later, the second half of my of my shift, the latter half, of my shift, a coworker came into work to, he was going to close. His name is Roger, which is also my father's name, right? My father is William Roger Wines. Um, I am the, the weird one out of the group. Uh, obviously my name is extremely unique, right? Lance Gunner is very unique. Gunner comes from, um, I think it, it comes from my, my father's father. That's what he always called me. And of course, Lance, um, which has lots of different meanings throughout history, but, they're both, you know, Williams. Uh, my father and his father are Williams. My mother's father is a William. Uh, her brother is William. And so I'm kind of like the odd one out where I'm not named William or at least a W name. Um, and I thought about naming my, my child that, you know, like William. I would I would obviously name a son William Emmett uh, just because those are both family names that are really significant to me. Um, but, you know, I have other names, too. I have better girl names, I think, planned or, or ones that I would discuss. My mom is really keen on me having a daughter and naming her Sunflower, which I don't know if that was because my mom actually likes the name Sunflower or because she was hoping that her mother would be Ivy and then Ivy and Sunflower would go together. Obviously, they'd all be floral names. Um, but, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're not going to get into kingdom, you know, genus, species. We're not going to get into that. It doesn't matter. Point being... I got to work with a gentleman named Roger on my Roger's birthday. And Roger is the type of coworker, the, the one that's alive, is the type of coworker uh, that you can speak about these things with. He is, he, as I mentioned before, is almost, he makes me wonder if he is Jesus in disguise or like he's the Holy Spirit uh, sent to test me or sent to 
move me along on my path, right? There's for people I've mentioned this before, but there's this page on Facebook known as the People of New York, and this I guess reporter, this photographer, this freelancer goes around, finds strangers on the street of New York, takes photographs them, you know, takes their photo, and then asks them about their life, and then they have these really rich, unique stories because you never know who you're going to meet in a city of eight million people with four million visitors. You know what I mean? Uh, and Roger is like one of those people that could certainly be one of the faces of the people of New York. He has a very rich life. Uh, he has lots of insight, lots of insp- inspiration. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that he is Jesus in disguise, right? Of course, Jesus was darker skinned. Uh, so it's not that much of a disguise as it is with the conservative Jesus. Um, that is Kid Rock, right? So anyway, that's my political commentary for the day. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I speak with Roger and he's like, well, Lance, what are you going to do this weekend? What are you going to do when you get off? I was like, here is my, uh, here's my time, right? I'm about to, I'm about to take this opportunity to run with it. I said, well, when I get off, I'm going to drive up to Strasburg, which is where Roger, my coworker is from, uh, to the cemetery where my father is buried, where his ashes, his urn is buried, uh, visit my father for his birthday, then go home. Uh, maybe clean up a little bit and then go downtown to 5050 Tap House. Shout out 5050 on Cork Street. I've mentioned them a hundred times uh, for the drag show, for drag bingo. Of course, Roger, um, being the interesting, unique person that he is, not only is Roger older, right? I, I don't know. I think he's probably in his 60s. He's older. He is a black man. He's a black man from the South, from rural Virginia. He is also a gay man. And so Roger, being black and gay and older and from the South, has lots of unique opinions on drag, right? Which I'm not going to get into. This isn't, again, this isn't a political con- uh, podcast. Uh, but it was just, it was a great conversation, right? It's a great conversation um, for me, someone who is, you know, n- not really those things. <laughs> to be able to to speak with someone about that. Anyway, you know, we talked about, you know, visiting my father on his birthday, um, how I feel about that, where I am in life, where my mental uh, space is. Of course, I'm going to get into this more so later. And then during this time, which this conversation went on for about, what it felt like it went on for about eight hours, but it's so easy to talk to Roger. Um, but it was really only about three, three and a half hours. Well, during this time, we obviously had to service customers, right? Um, because that's what you do in customer service. You service customers. Um, and so I went to my register when a number of customers came in, because if it was only one or two, maybe three, I would, one of us could still stand around and kind of goof off or continue the conversation because we can run through a line pretty quickly, right? You know, jump in the line. Okay. I believe you. Um, but when there's more than three people in the store, that's when we go to our respective registers uh, and knock them out real quick so we can get back to conversation. Uh, so I jump to my register, and a gentleman comes in the store, right? Of course, this is some backstory, but, you know, whatever. It's not too much. This backstory is similar to how I started the initial Suki episode, which is kind of funny. This gentleman comes into the store. I recognize him as a regular. I probably see him, I don't know, three times a week, maybe. Typically, when I'm working, he does come in. I don't work every day. I don't, you know, I don't work every day, so I don't know if he comes in every day. But if you were like a scientist or if you were a statistics manager, you could suggest that he probably comes in every day. But I don't know that, right? I see him, you know, two, three times a week. He could take some days off, right? Um, this gentleman, I know his name because I've, 
obviously seen his ID. I've seen his credit card. I've seen his receipts. I know his name. I'm not going to tell you what his name is. Uh, but he looks like Santa Claus. And when I say Santa Claus, I don't mean super old, right? Like he's not an elderly man, but he is, as you, as one would describe, uh, short and stout, right? Kind of like, uh, like the teapot song. Uh, he is short and stout, not super large. He doesn't have a gut or a belly, but you know, like I said, short and stout, um, and he usually is wearing lots of jewelry. Uh, it's an older white man, right? So like probably in his, again, like in his sixties, uh, older white man wears lots of jewelry. He has a ring on every finger, including his thumbs, uh, which is cool. And there are lots of like, you know, kind of biker rings, kind of like my compass ring that everyone compliments, right? The one that I'm, I've never seen without, uh, he wears a leather jacket, you know, typically like a funny t-shirt or like a rock t-shirt underneath, um, sunglasses again, occasionally a hat, long white beard, uh, literally looks like Santa Claus on vacation. Like I'm, I want to ask him, do you only work one month a year or one day a year? Uh, but very definitively Santa Claus in disguise. And this gentleman typically, uh, not always, but typically purchases two bottles of Patty's Irish whiskey. Patty's Irish whiskey, for those who don't know, is a bottom shelf Irish whiskey. It's still... Irish is going to be expensive because it's imported. Uh, it's, you know, for a bottle with tax, it's $21.05 a bottle. Occasionally it comes in a tube, right, which lots of people like bottles that come in tubes. Scotch typically comes in like a tube or a box, so it, it looks fancier. Um, has a gentleman on it that kind of looks like Woodrow Wilson. Like if you were to imagine Woodrow Wilson as an Irishman, that's what Patty looks like. I guess that's who we're going to assume that his name is. Um, <laughs> Patty, short for Paddington. Um, God, that was a lame joke. But anyway, so it's this, it's bottom shelf Irish whiskey that's bottled and appears to be a top shelf scotch. That's what it looks like, right? Um, I've heard it's really good, uh, but everyone goes for Jameson or Bushmills or Tullamore Dew, you know, the classics, um, or Sexton, right? Which Sexton's a little bit more expensive. Red Breast is more expensive. Uh, anyway, this gentleman gets Patty's. I've serviced this man, which is funny to say, because uh, that's what she said, but I've serviced this man, um, checked him out, which, again, that's what she said, for a long time now, right, since I've worked there, which is almost a year at this point. And he noticed or has noticed in the past the signs that I make for the Verifone or the credit card machine for the, the layman out there, uh, the credit card machine, because the credit card machine on Roger's side, on the, if you're, so stage, it would be stage right, I guess. Uh, register, uh, doesn't always work very well. The touchscreen doesn't really work very well. So I tell people, hey, just press the rubber button at the bottom and you can breeze right through this without looking like a, a fool or a buffoon, you know, hitting the glass of this touchscreen that doesn't work. Of course, people don't listen. People don't read signs. Again, this isn't political social commentary, but I make a lot of signs that depict the instructions very accurately and vividly and concisely. Again, a lot of people don't care. They notice. They don't care. Whatever. It's just like every other problem in the world. Um, <laughs> so you got to do much more than believe if you want to see the world change. Um, but I have a sign that it has become famous in the city of Winchester is the creation of Adam, right? It's the spark of life. God creates Adam. And specifically, you know, this is the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel uh, in Rome. And specifically, it's the fingers where they meet, right? So everyone knows 
uh, God is, you know, laying in heaven. He reaches down with his finger pointed out. Adam is, is laying on earth with his finger pointing up. And they don't touch. They, they you know, almost meet. And that's called the spark of life where, you know, in the Bible or, or theoretically speaking, the spark would come from God's hand into Adam and it would give him life. And then, of course, because it's so old and it's a, uh, what do they call the the fresca? Is that what they call the, the painting, fresca? Uh, because of the style of painting from the Renaissance, the ceiling has cracked right in the center of these fingers, right? So it looks like, it almost looks perfect. It's, it's almost crazy how, how perfectly it cracked to look like a spark going from one finger to the other. And so I drew those hands, right? And hands are difficult to draw, anyone who knows Anyone who draws or has tattoos or, or anything like that knows the hands are difficult to draw. I've, I've drawn them pretty well. And then in the center is a perfect, accurate description, a depiction of the button that you're supposed to fucking press on the Verifone machine. And it says, press this button to confirm amount, right, which is the instructions. People love the sign, man. They're like, wow, this is a, a great rendition of this popular Renaissance artwork. I say, thank you. But they don't read because people don't read, right? It's like a stop sign. A stop sign is a suggestion. The enforcement comes after you don't follow the suggestion. Anyway, anyway again. And this gentleman always compliments the sign. Well, he walked into the store, looked over, said hi to Roger, turned to his right, looked, said hi to me, and they walked out. I was like, damn, it'd be like that, right? Like, okay, you and every other woman, I guess. Um, and then he walks back in. He walks, he grabs his two bottles of patties, and he comes to the counter, and he sets his bottles down, and he says, here, a gift for you. And I look up, and he's reaching around the plexiglass shield that we have uh, in front of ourselves. To It was like a COVID barrier, right? A glass, essentially a glass shield uh, with a slot underneath that you can pass bottles and money through. He's reaching around with, again, that's what she said. He's re- <laughs> reaching around, and it's a book. And anyone who knows me knows I collect books. You know, I love literature. I love culture. I love consuming media. I love books. I love the tactile feel of a book, the smell of a book. I love feeling the coarse, you know, subtle bumps of the paper on my fingertips, uh, the smell of an old book when you crack the spine. I love it. This book is uh, Drinking and Drawing, and it's from an art club uh, that I guess that is the name or the theme of the art club is Drinking and Drawing, where they get together, they drink, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and they produce, they consume and produce art. And this book is drawing instructions coupled with drinking culture, let's put it that way. says this for me. He said, yeah, he was like, you know, I love your signs. I notice your signs. They're amazing. I, I, you know, I, I adore them. I look forward to it. Whenever I come in, I draw a bit myself. I thought of you, and I wanted to give this to you because I think that you could get some good use out of it. And I told him, I was like, I'm, over, I'm honestly overwhelmed. You know, it's one of the nicest things that anyone has done for me in an extended period of time. Uh, it reminded me of, again, the story from my first Pints of Good Karma episode where I gave that father the snow globe to give to his daughter, and then, you know, two weeks or so later, he brought his daughter in because she wanted to thank me for giving her that snow globe and making, uh, you know, improving her Christmas, improving her holiday season. 
Uh, and that really was, that was moving, right? And that's what led to the good karma thing because it was good karma. I, you know, I gave this gentleman this snow globe to get to his daughter. His daughter comes in, thanks me, says, you know, thanks for making Christmas better. Thanks for improving the holiday. And then I go and I, I see Suki in person for the first time. That's the theme. Uh, and so this was my good karma for the day is this gentleman was so moved by interacting our subtle, you know, rapid, you know, fast paced, you know, small interactions over the last year. He was so moved by just the simple interactions that we had that he thought of me when he was outside of the liquor store, thought about the things that I had created, the art that I had created. It moved him to gift me something. And Anyone who knows me knows that effort and consideration are the two most important things in my life. You know, again, with reciprocity and unconditional love. And it meant a lot to me that a stranger would do such a thing because I have people in my life that have been in my life for a long time that would not do such a thing. So that really made my day. I I showed my coworkers. I showed, uh, you know, my supervisors. They were all moved. It was really, it was a really touching moment in the store. Um, and it, it really, it still holds a lot of weight in my heart, just like the snow globe and that, that little girl. Um, and then I, I got off, right? I, I got off work, uh, you know, God, God willing. <laughs> and I drove uh, to the cemetery. I hopped on 81, whipped it down to 81 to the 66 um, merger, right? where it sort of uh, it overtakes 66, and 81 is slammed at this point because it's, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, so I hop on 66, ride it from 81 to exit 6, which is, you know, 5.22. Uh, I get off at the Front Royal exit, exit 6, um, 666, <laughs> the, the mark of the beast, and then I, I drive up 5.22 uh, towards Front Royal and then head to Strasburg. I go to the cemetery. Um, again, it's chilly. Um, the sun's going down a little bit. It had been kind of overcast, kind of cloudy all day. The sun had peaked out a little bit. Um, it wasn't the beautiful day that it had been the week prior. I get to the cemetery. Um, I don't know how much of the cemetery people really care about. You know what I mean? Uh, there are cemeteries everywhere, right? There are dead everywhere. Um, but I, I parked the car. I walk up to the grave. The grave site is my Uncle Bob. I've mentioned this before. My Uncle Bob, my grandfather, Willie, uh, and then my father. I speak to my father. I say, happy birthday. Um, I have a good cry. I sing Grave Digger, right, because that reminds me of my father. Um, Cry a little bit more. Sit down at this marble bench that is part of a grave of another family, the Ross family. Uh, which reminds me of my friend Ryan uh, from New York. So, Ryan, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, shout out. Uh, sit down on this marble bench. I, I think about God. I ponder my existence, my place in the world. I think about divinity and, and divine purpose and, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, gospel punishment. Uh, I think about Job, as I posted in my, my Instagram story or my Instagram post. And then I walk up to my father again. I, I wish him a happy birthday one more time. I, you know, kiss the stone, kiss the ground, um, say my goodbye, my see you later, my see you again. And then I'm on my way, um, which is, you know, it, I said in my, my Instagram post regarding this that 
you know, I think a lot about this quote from it's Steve Harvey that said it, right? It's one of those TikTok videos where it's like someone on TikTok takes great videos and clips them out and then posts them as TikToks that are like 30 seconds or a minute long. And the the video in particular is Steve Harvey. And I think that he usually gives like a, a routine or a monologue to the crowd or to the audience while they get set up for Family Feud, uh, either before or after Family Feud. You know, he speaks to the audience. And he says, you, you know, when you pray to God, what do you expect from God? You know, when you when you get down on your knees or you, you know, put your hands together, you bow your head and you pray, what do you expect to happen? You say, I want love. Do you expect, you know, the person of your dreams to walk through the door? Or you say, I want money. And do you expect to win the lottery the next day? You know, you, you want peace. Do you expect for conflict to resolve? You know, things like that. He says, no. He says, when you want opportunity, God closes every door in front of you and gives you the strength to break down the door that you feel in your heart is the right one, right? That's what God gives you. God doesn't give you what you want. He gives you the means upon which to gain it yourself. And everyone knows I struggle with believing in God. Obviously, my my personal beliefs are more of a hopeful agnostic uh, than a, a true believer. Um, but I think there's weight to that, right? There's no way that someone could say, oh, you know, I pray for this, that, and the other, and the next day it's just granted. That's not how it, it could work in any any version of religion, any version of Christianity or Abrahamic religion. That's just not how it works, right? To imagine that that God is that merciful, that giving, that altruistic, after all the things that the world has been through, that God's chosen people themselves have been through, is ridiculous. Like, what... The many, you know, schisms and and plights of the Jews, of the chosen people of Judah, to imagine that God would see one stranger, one random person, you know, thousands of years removed, and give them exactly what they ask for, exactly how they want it, that's, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like, well, how can God let famine happen? How can God let war happen? How could God let the Holocaust happen? Because not only is the Holocaust you know, famine, war, genocide, the extinction, you know, the mass extinction of these people, um, the the horrors that, you know, it, being dead was almost better than surviving what was happening to these people at these camps, at the concentration camps. How could God not only let the Holocaust happen, but let the Holocaust happen to the his chosen people, the people of Judah, right? The people of the Levant. How could God let that happen to his chosen people, his children? At that point, you have to think, well, God is either a sick fuck, right? Which, Or you have to think, well, God just doesn't work that way. And it is easier, I think, to sleep at night to think God just doesn't work that way, right? God isn't actively making things happen. God is giving people opportunities. God is, is putting people in the places they need to be. It's up to them, and it's your free will that allows you to make the right choices or make the wrong choices and succeed or fail with the tools God gives you. And one of the points that was made was, you know, when you pray for something, when you pray for more loyalty in your life, 
God's not going to just make everyone all of a sudden bow to you and give you complete honesty and compassion and empathy. God's going to show you the people that aren't loyal to you by having them treat you like shit. And then it's your, it's in your power, your autonomy, your will, your self-determination to recognize and learn that these people are, are treating you like shit, that they aren't loyal and then remove them. That's how you gain loyalty in your life is God will treat you. God will show you the bad things and then it's up to you to remove them. Those are signs, right? And that was sort of the point of my post. The point of the story regarding my father is I've never had a great relationship with my dad, obviously, um, sometimes better than others. But I always prayed for a better relationship with my father. I always wanted a better relationship with my father. And because I know that life is fleeting, time is fleeting, and, and you can leave at any moment. And of course, he did. And I prayed to God for a better relationship with my father. So God took my father away to test how much I loved him and how much I wanted that. And that's how you have to look at it, right? I can't look at it. I used to be so jaded, right? I used to be so bitter, just so, just, I don't even know, just agitated at life, disappointed in life. And again, I know I'm going to have certain listeners, but uh, Ivy saw this early on in our relationship, right? And it was an issue that she had with her previous boyfriend, Justin. It's funny, Justin, Josh, Lance, you know, what? just wanted to point that out there. Um, they're my cousin's names. He was a very woe-is-me person, right? And I don't want to be a very woe-is-me person. I, I like to take responsibility. I like to use my agency, my ability, my self-determination um, to better my life, right? That's the whole point of this. That's how I act. But occasionally you find moments of weakness, right? And, and they're called moments of weakness because they are your weakness as opposed to your moments of strength when you overcome them or persevere, and seeing life in this new way has changed that. I, I can't, you know, I cannot hold on to those things for so long. Is like, why did this happen to me? Why, you know, why me? Why must God have forsaken me? I have to look at it as, well, this is an opportunity. This is a way to grow. This is a way to learn. This is a way to improve myself, to be a better man, a better person, a new person, and this is a way to learn what I need to learn. And so I can't look at, at, at life as the universe taking my father away from me again, this time permanently. I have to look at it as you wanted a better relationship with your dad. We're going to put that to the ultimate test and see if you rise to the occasion. And I have. I've seen my dad more um, in his death than I did in the last decade in his life. And that's something that I sit with often. But anyway, again, you know, this isn't a sad story. This is, I mean, it's kind of a sad story, but this is, you know, where I am at that day. So I leave the cemetery and I go home to say hello to my mother, right? Because this is obviously a hard day for her as well. Um, and then I hop in the, in the car and I'm whipping, you know, I'm downtown whipping on my way to you. And so I'm going to take a quick break right here, get a drink. I don't know if I'm going to put an ad in or not, but I need to take a breath, and I'll be right back. All right, so the plan was simple, right? I, so my buddy that works downtown, um, I was going to give her a code name, but she told me to call her Annie. Annie, who works at 5050, um, she told me I should probably get there around 7 
uh, to prepare for drag bingo starting at 9 30, 10 o'clock. Cause that's how busy it was. I was like, well, I'm at the cemetery. It's going to take me, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get back home. And then another 15 minutes to get back, uh, get to 50, 50. So it's not going to be seven. It's going to be more like eight o'clock when I get there. And I was like, sorry, but the plan is, you know, Brian is going to meet me there. This is a Brian story. They're all Brian stories. Uh, meet me there after he gets off work. And then supposedly a handful of his coworkers were going to join us. Now, a handful of his coworkers had said they were going to join us the last time, but they flaked on us and that's okay. Right. He's like, yeah, there's going to be eight or 10 of us. It's going to be awesome. And it was just Brian and I, right. Which that's fine. That's the perfect evening for me. This time he was like, there's probably going to be, you know, four or five of us. I was like, okay, like, you know, whatever. I got you. So I get downtown and I knew it was going to be a good night. It, it was a good day, but I knew it was going to be a good night because I'm whipping downtown on my way to you. And I pull into the Cork street parking lot for anyone familiar with Winchester there's a parking lot right on Cork Street next to the bar, uh, sort of near the entrance to the walking mall on Loudon Street. And for the first time in at least three years, there was a parking spot in the parking lot. And mind you, this was 8 o'clock, right? So people are not just at 50-50, they're at Cork Street Tavern, which shout out to them, shout out to Anthony and his family. Um, you know, they're at other bars downtown like Union Jacks, you know, shout out to them. Uh, Roma, Woodfire Pizza, uh, The Wine Bar, shout out to Casey Fiesel and The Wine Bar. Uh, there's some other new places downtown too. Uh, there's like a saloon, all that shit. Um, but I was like, bro, how did I luck out and get a... And, and it was funny, the spot, the car, I saw them leave, it was a black Jeep Renegade. So it was like me in the future, as I always say, right? Whenever I'd be in the car uh, with... Well, I say to, by myself or to myself now, but whenever I was in the car with Ivy... And we would pass a Jeep Renegade. Uh, I would always say, there's me in the future. And in this time, it wasn't me in the future. It was a black Jeep Renegade, which in the future, when I left, it was dark. My Jeep Renegade would have also looked black, uh, which is kind of cool. And I whip into that spot. I'm like, wow, this is great. I get out. I grab my book. I have a book of famous quotes uh, for public speaking and orators that I want to uh, want to read. Just because I like quotes, I like I use quotes as you know little uh, what treasures, gems of knowledge, as well as Instagram captions and pickup lines. You know, I like quotes. Uh, I make a lot of them myself, right? I like quotes so much I decided to make them myself. And I grab my book and I walk into the bar. Um, I say hi to Annie. She's like, "Hey, what's up?" Uh, and I'm like, "Yeah, there's probably going to be." Hopefully five of us, right? Five, four or five. I would have said five and five or six, but I was like, eh, you know, the, the room for error, uh, the margin for error, I was going to say is probably one person, you know, it's like the over under is one. So I was like, let's go with four or five instead of five or six. She's all right. We have a table for you. I said, what? She said, yeah, we have a table for you. As they cleared out. I was like, dude, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Fucking right. You know, as Drake said, so I get placed at the table, right? And this is a new same venue, new uh, location, right? And so, all right, let's go with, um, let's go with same jurisdiction, new venue. How about that? Because that's the legal, that's the right uh, civil procedure, right? That's the federal rules of civil procedure. Same jurisdiction, different venue. Uh, the jurisdiction being fifty-fifty tap house. The venue being the seat upon which, which is funny because you know venue is the the seat of the court. Anyway, this I went to law school. Uh, for those <laughs> for those who don't know, I haven't done very well post law school, but whatever. Um, this new table is as I've described the restaurant before is 
right in front of the stage where they announce the bingo, where they do trivia when they're when it's trivia night on Thursdays, and where the drag queens uh, start and end their performances again, where they call bingo. The problem with this table is that one, it's it's a great location for trivia. It'd be the best location for trivia. It's also a great location for drag bingo because you're really close to the drag queens and you're on the ground. So they don't have to go up a platform to walk to your table and you don't have your legs dangling from a high top. It's a great, great seat. Uh, the problems are usually the table next to us where we were seated because it's like uh, three six to eight seaters that they put together there. One of them is usually the husbands or the boyfriends or the friends and family of the drag queens, right? Uh, so they kind of rowdy, you know, it, it, it's a lot of excitement in one area. And if you don't want all of that attention, all of that excitement, it might not be the best place to sit. The other issue is that the elevated pool table, uh, shuffleboard game area is adjacent to you. So it's not like there's an open floor to your right. There's an elevated platform with a number of tables where people will be sitting. So you can't, you don't have a direct, or you have a direct, but you don't have a clear line of sight to the bar, to the high tops. I said, well, if this is going to be another Suki story, if this is going to be another good karma story, I'm fucked at this table, right? This is a great table for me, great table for Brian, great table for our guest, great table for Drag Bingo. It turned out to be the best uh, acoustic location in the bar. I've sat at every every table in the bar at this point, and that table is definitively the best acoustic because it, I don't know, it just is. Um, but I'm not going to be able to see the girl, this girl of my dreams uh, at this table, which is, you know, whatever. Got to make choices. Uh, as Sam Witwicky, Shia LaBeouf says in the first Transformers in 2007, no sacrifice, no victory. So I sit down at the table, and I pull out my book, a young lady that works there, uh, let's just call her A, right? Easy A, if you will, um, is our waitress this evening. And so I know, you know, I know a number of the wait staff. Obviously, I know the hostess. And come to find out, I knew the owners uh, through the ABC. Sitting at this table, reading this book, and I get a text from, obviously, I'm talking to Brian, right? Getting the plan together, making sure that he's going to arrive shortly. Uh, and I get a text from Annie that says that Suki had just came into the restaurant and had put her name down for a table. Now, again, I do have a pretty solid, this is, this is going to be an aside, you know, this is going to be an addendum. I have a pretty solid fan base. I have a pretty loyal fan base. I have a, a fan base that has listened to or is caught up on all of the episodes of Late Nights with Lance to this point. Now, for this episode, you don't have to listen to every episode to get the excitement of this episode. However, I do recommend you listen to a few, all right? One would be uh, Sleep to Dream Her, Chasing Cars, right? Sleep to Dream Her is a Dave Matthews song, uh, which is also the story of my life, Sleep to Dream Her. And the other one, or Chasing Cars, which is the subtitle, uh, is, sort, is another song reference, but it's a reference to the topic or subject of that episode. It's an Ivy episode. So Sleep to Dream Her. Uh, Pints of Good Karma, and then the sequel to Pints of Good Karma, which is uh, also the story of the bar exam recently, is Learned Hand. Another, I think it's another shot of good karma or another dose of good karma. I don't, off the top of my head, it doesn't really matter. 
So Sleep to Dream Her Chasing Cars is one episode. Uh, A Pint of Good Karma is the first Suki episode. And then Learned Hand, another another shot of Good Karma is the next one. Because this is the third part to this, right? So that being said, I can infer that certain people listen to this show, right? I can certainly deduce... Uh, or reason or reckon that I do have certain people in my regular audience, including people who upon which this show is dedicated to and this show is about more often than not. But I can't assume that everyone in her party or in their party, I should say, everyone in their party, uh, everyone related to them, everyone connected to them who is also listening to get my to get the juicy details, uh, if you will, has listened to every episode, right? Like, I can assume, I'm just going to go ahead and say this up front, I'm going to assume that my ex-girlfriend listens to my podcast. I'm just going to assume. I make that assumption, one, because of the nature of our relationship, both past and present, uh, and also because some of the episodes are about her, right? Like, how can you not uh, listen to something about you, right? How can you not listen to a a full-scale, mass-produced, you know, large audience production made, you know, for you, uh, about you. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm trying to think of a good example. The only example, I thought of Titanic, but how many Titanic survivors saw Titanic? Uh, (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it's like the old lady, it's like Rose going back to the Titanic uh, and telling the story, tell those people about how she fucked Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, you know, it's like, Okay, so Dave has a has a younger sister named Jane, and this is the song that Jane likes. It's like her not listening to that song. It was made, you know, it's named in her honor. Um, or the song Sister, right? It's like Dave writes a song called Sister. It would be kind of strange if his sister, his surviving sister, didn't listen to that song because it's about her. Um, that's sort of like this. Like, how could she not listen to this, right? And, and I have uh, evidence to suggest that she does but I can't assume that her friends and family have gone and listened to every episode because they probably don't give a shit, right? Either they don't give a shit about me or they do give a shit in a negative way and they hate me, right? So uh, I can't assume that people who are indifferent to me or worse have gone and listened to every episode, right? So as sort of a backtrack, because we're getting in on an hour, which is pretty good time for this episode, (sighs) Which, again, I recommend, I really recommend going back and listen to A Pint of Good Karma. Because A Pint of Good Karma is the actual entertainment episode regarding the topic I'm about to breeze through right quick, right? So, there's this girl, there's this young lady, this young woman that I saw, discovered, came across, whatever you want to say, the worst possible word you can use on a dating app, right? Because I'm a piece of shit, you know, my hands are in the air right now. I'm, you know, surrendering uh, to law enforcement. I'm giving up without a fight. I'm a piece of shit, right? And piece of shit, people use dating apps. That's how it be. Uh, you never find anything good. Uh, it's like going to the dump and, and trying not to find trash. You know what I mean? Um, but in the garbage heap, in the landfill, occasionally you find some treasure. Right? You know what I mean? And so I came across this young lady who was just... She, let's just say she's all that in a bag of chips, right? I'm not going to get into it. If you want to know everything there, everything that I know about this young lady, again, listen to A Pint of Good Karma. It's a short episode. You can breeze right through it. You only really need to listen to the last 30 minutes of the episode. The point is, this woman is all that in a bag of chips, right? She's got a lot of features, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, that I find 
not only find attractive, but look for in a, a partner or potential significant other. Um, again, ravishing, breathtakingly beautiful. And she has a lot of those personality traits that I really grasp onto and search for because of my relationship with Ivy, right? Things that I discovered from her that I want in my future. And since I more than likely can't get them from the source, uh, I got to find a new source. You know what I mean? Um, the problem is that not only does she appear to live a life very similar to Ivy, this young lady looks eerily similar to Ivy, right? This young lady is uh, essentially her, I call her her urban doppelganger, right? And of course, I, I've had this conversation with Annie and some other friends uh, that Suki is the urban or modern doppelganger of Ivy, where Ivy would be the more uh, rural, uh, more, what's the word I'm looking for here? More natural, right? Not not like natural in like, you know, there's a place in France where all the naked ladies dance. Not like that natural. I don't mean, you know what I mean? Like, the, I, I Cleo was more natural in that traditional sense of like, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. I, I, you know, I'm not going to shave, not going to partake in those uh, different things, you know, which... I love, obviously. I have a lot of love for Cleo, um, wherever she may be. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what I mean. I mean natural and sort of the connected to the earth, connected to nature. Uh, a, you know, a love, a love for living creatures, organic materials, uh, a lust for life, if you will. Truly, Ivy is the physical uh, human embodiment of the term, the phrase, lust for life. Um which I'm going to get into that a little bit later as well. And then Suki is like a more modern, uh, like I said, urban, more city uh, approach to that same um, physical appearance, just with a different aesthetic, right? Very similar physical appearance, different aesthetic. To the point where it's eerily similar, right? Which is both exciting to me, obviously, but also a little bit disappointing, Uh it's exciting because I obviously love Ivy. I have a lot of love for Ivy. Uh, and, I, you know, again, I'll get into the, you know, wanted, want, will want uh, of it all later. But I obviously have a desire, a romantic desire for Ivy. And so that's like, great. Like, hey, here's a, a young lady. Here's a young woman that looks like, <laughs> that looks like her. Here's, here's a replacement version, right? Here is like the, uh, the new model, if you will. Uh, I don't know. I can't say improved. I doubt improved, but here's a different model. Uh, whatever. It's like going from the Mustang GT 500 to the Mustang Mach E, right? It's different. Um, the negative part about that is it's like, come on, Lance. Like really, you know what I mean? Like I, ne in my life, you could ask anyone, Say I never had a type. And everyone would be like, oh, you have a type, you know, like thick, you know, blonde, blue eyes, you know, gap in the teeth, um, you know, pale skin. Uh, I'm not going to get into all these. I just described essentially Jen Dickey, right? So rest in peace to that. They'd be like, oh, that's your type. Um, and then I fell in love, uh, head over heels, ass backwards. To the point of I'm making this episode, make this show with this individual, and lo and behold, she became the archetype for my type, right? She is the the model. She is the statue of David, uh, which is the model of human perfection upon which I build my type, all right? 
which is like, you know, whatever. It's like Ultron in Age of Ultron, upon this rock, I will build my church. Ivy is that rock. She is the vibranium. Um, and Ultron obviously gets defeated, but I'm not going to spoil uh, all that for you. Anyway, back to the story. So that is uh, this young lady uh, that I'm fiending over, I guess would be the term. She says, Suki, the young lady from these other stories, uh, is here as you expected. And she is coming with her usual group. Again, I've described the group in other podcasts. Essentially, it's like, how, how do I want to put this? If you look at the Last Supper and you see Jesus in the center, that would be Suki, right? That's Jesus. You know what I mean? That's, that's God incarnate, right? That's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in human form. And then there's the 12 apostles. Uh, and those are essentially the women that come with her. They are also holy, right? Uh, so I'm not, again, I don't like to put numerical values on things. I don't like to, I don't, you know, I, I try to stay away from misogyny as much as I can. Uh, if I had to choose a flavor of misogyny, it's more of Drake's, uh, passive misogyny rather than future's aggressive misogyny, uh, which again, I've thought about that a lot. Uh, but I don't like to, I don't rank or judge people like that. I'm just stating Suki is very beautiful. Obviously the, the source, the muse is very beautiful. And then all of these other, um, additional women in her cohort are uh, extremely beautiful as well. So they're coming to the party. Um, they're coming, you know, as they, as I expected. Uh, so that's how that's going. I'm like, cool. At this point, Brian shows up um, and Brian and I get to talking. He gives me a gift, which is a Grateful Dead themed like magic box toy. I can't really describe it. It's kind of like a Rubik's cube, but it folds into like an infinite number of shapes uh, and it's Grateful Dead themed, right? Because I've gotten, over the last year or so, I've gotten into the Grateful Dead as I have developed my jam band taste to, from, and away uh, from the Dave Matthews Band, right? Um, again, another shout out. So as I am speaking to Brian, uh, and as we are playing with this Grateful Dead toy and, and discussing the ways of the world, his guest shows up, one of the uh, women that was he was expecting to show up, a coworker of his, Again, you know, she's not really, not that she's not important, she's very significant, I'm sure she's, she's a lovely woman, great, you know, great to meet her, um, but because she's not integral to the story, she's not vital to the story, and because I don't know her intimately like I do these other people, I'm not going to use her name, I'm not going to give her a description, let's just say that there was a third party that joined us for a, in a short period of time um, that was one of Brian's coworkers, and she got to play witness to what happened next. Uh, so again, I'm going to take a, a drink of water real quick. I, I apologize for the pause, but I gotta, gotta wet my whistle as we say in Appalachia. Oh yeah, that's some good shit. And I know that whoever's listening probably hates that noise, which, you know, whatever. So at this time I get a text, right? And I had been texting Annie back and forth, you know, as friends do. Um, and she says, you are not going to like this. And I knew what she was going to say immediately. Because if you go back to Learned Hand, uh, which is the sequel to the Good Karma episode, uh, the the previous Suki episode at fifty fifty, I said that this would likely happen, and this I said this because of a lot of other context, other information I'm not going to provide because it's top secret. No, it's not top secret; it just doesn't really matter. I said that this was going to happen, and it did. So if you want proof, you can go and say, "Well, a month ago I predicted this, and it occurred." I said, "Okay, what?" She said, "Ivy is here." I said, 
bold of you to assume I'm not going to like that, but I, I know what she meant. Uh, obviously, she was here with, she was at the restaurant with her boyfriend. Everyone knows his name at this point, you know, even though he's not an active listener. He's, I don't know him intimately, but in terms of the story, intimately enough, I'm, his name is Josh, right? I said Josh and Justin earlier. Um, and Lance, right? What a weird, what, like the, I don't even, I'm not going to get into the, the Freudian nature of that. Um, the point is that they were, you know, setting a reservation for a table and they were going to be having dinner at 50, 50. And I guess to enjoy the drag show as well. Now I had known the reason I predicted this, which I'll get into real quick is because one, I know, I know all, and I see all, right? That's rule number one outside the podcast, and I know that she's going to hate hearing that. I know a lot of people are going to hate hearing that. This is my catchphrase, is I know all, I see all, you know, that's just how I am. I'm a genius. No, but um, I've been made aware uh, of her presence in the city once more. Um, you know, ever since I left the city, uh, <laughs> well, I've been made of her presence in the city once more. Uh, I've been made aware that she frequents this establishment, which... You know, again, why you got to fight with me at Cheesecake? You know, I love to go there. Um, and, you know, that's sort of like that was my place. And then I introduced it to her. It became our place. And then she sort of got 50-50 in the divorce. Uh, but once you remarry out, out of divorce, you, you get rid of the um, the spousal support, right? You, you sort of you, you don't get any more alimony after you remarry out of your initial divorce. So she sacri- she forfeited uh, 50-50, to which I picked it back up, right? Well, here we go again. Uh, here we are. <laughs> and we're back to, to essentially square one, um, which so be it, if you will. And so I had been made aware that she had began to uh, frequent this establishment once more, and that's fine. Uh, the the first or the initial time that I remember this was when I was taking the bar exam, right? Which, again, I talked about that in the second episode of Learned Hand, uh, or the second episode of A Good Karma, the Learned Hand episode, which I highly recommend. Probably my favorite episode that I've done. Um, and since then, I've been receiving, you know, I, I know, again, I know all, I see all, right? Uh, we had not come across each other in a while, I guess, face to face, if you will. Uh, outside of a vehicle, we hadn't come face to face with one another in a long time, um, which for better or for worse. So I was like, cool. I was scoping out the available tables and I was like, well, I would rather her sit next to me. And this is fucked of me to, to think or to consider. I'd rather her sit next to me than sit next to Suki, because if she sits next to Suki, you know, one, uh, I, if I go over to, if I ever grew the courage, you know, developed the cojones, you know, had the balls, uh, to approach this woman in public, which everyone knows my opinion on that. I've made that clear in other episodes, um, about that sort of, uh, approaching people and, and their sort of the, the public, uh, court of public opinion on that. If I did, however, you know, decide to finally approach this young lady, um, I could not do so directly next to my ex-girlfriend. I could not, right? Because even if it went perfect, imagine I went up to this young lady, right? It is a hypothetical. I say, miss, you are the most beautiful woman that I have ever seen. And it would be a pleasure to get to know you better. Can I buy you a drink? I'll even throw in a, I'll even throw in an offer uh, of money, right? I'll even throw in uh, a bribe. Can I buy you a drink? If you say that in front of your ex-girlfriend, bro, 
either she's going to dist- she's going to either pull a Will Smith on you, right, which is a timely reference, pull a Will Smith on you, or wait until you leave, pull a Kanye West on you, right? She's either going to scoff or chuckle or laugh or make some sort of incoherent animalistic noise he- overhearing this, even if she's with someone. She's going to, you know, she could pretend she doesn't know who I am. And just pretend to laugh just for the happenstance of it all. Um, Or she, on the other spectrum, she could say something at that moment. Like, come the fuck on. You know what I mean? Which, I I don't want to put anything past this situation, right? We are two very, uh, we're like fire and gasoline, right? We would both, we would both in certain circumstances do that to one another. No doubt. Or I walk away having gone poorly. Either it goes poorly and she laughs and she says, hey, sorry about that. He's a real, that guy seemed like a real piece of shit. Or it goes really well and then she sabotages it for me as soon as I step away, right? Now, I have a lot of love for Ivy. I think that in some way, shape, or form, someplace she has a lot of love for me. That being said, I, we have all done bad things to people that we love, right? We have all crossed or done things that we regret to people that we love. It's way easier to do it when you're not with that person, right? <laughs> like, it's way easier to do that. So I'm not saying that she would or wouldn't do it. I'm just saying it's a possibility, you know? So I can't approach this young lady with her right there. The other aspect is if she sits anywhere else, she could witness it from afar, and, and still there's that level of shame or embarrassment. I also don't just – I don't want them to sit next to each other Um just because, you know, it's like a, there's a Seinfeld episode about this, right? Worlds collide. I don't want the worlds to collide. So, like, I'd rather her sit next to me and me deal with that shame and embarrassment than to sit her next to this young lady upon which this podcast is about. Well, I'm looking around, and it appears the only tables are directly next to me anyway, so it doesn't even matter uh, at this point. I'm like, oh, my God, like, what is going to happen here? Like, is she going to sit? There was a table open above me, which later went to a different group of people that I almost wish it had been Ivy. Um, or directly next to me, like, directly uh, to my left or kind of, uh, to my, what would have been my, uh, seven o'clock. And I was like, man, this situation's fucked. Uh, you know, and of course I was excited, you know, like I'm anxious. I'm excited. The adrenaline's starting to pump. Like I can feel the adrenal glands start to secrete. Um, you know, I'm starting to get the neurons firing. It's like, I can, I can feel things happening in my body, uh, which that not like that, but I can feel things happening in my body and it's like, okay, I know something's happening. And I'm getting excited, but I'm like, man, you know, realistically, this situation is fucked either way. So I do what any normal person would do. I contact all of my friends, right? Uh, Which, you know, it may be a lot, maybe a little, but I contact what I consider a large group of people, all of my friends, uh, all of my different worlds, right? Different groups, like three different group chats and then some individuals. Um, And I'm like, bro, you will not believe what the fuck is going to happen right now. And everyone's getting super stoked. Everyone's getting pumped. It's like literally, it's like halftime in Space Jam, right? Like it's in Space Jam. Everyone's, you know, drinking Michael's secret stuff. We're getting pumped to beat the Monstars. We're going to win the game. We got Michael Jordan. I'm Michael Jordan in this instance. Uh, and Brian is Bill Murray. And I mean, we're getting, we're getting pumped. We're getting jacked for this, right? Like we're like, oh, like something cool is going to happen, right? No matter what. And again, I, I've said this before. It's going to be good content no matter what happens. But something cool is going to happen. It's about it's like Kevin Hart when he has permission from his mother to cuss out his teacher. And he's like, it's about to go down. And it was like about to go down, dude. Like that's how it felt. That was the vibe. That was it was palpable, right? I could feel it. 
Um, and of course, Brian was stoked because Brian was there. We'd had some beers, right? A uh, few beers. Brian was there. We were having a good time. And um, all my friends are like, oh, I wish I was there. I would say something. I wish I was there. I would do something. I wish I was there. You know, like this, that, and the other. You know, my friends are very uh, similar to me in some circumstances. Very uh, fervorous, very convicted, very excitable, uh, very some occasionally confrontational. Um, people just wanted to be there. They wanted to be there. One, because they knew they were going to hear it regardless secondhand, or I guess firsthand, secondhand, live as it happened, and then on this podcast, but also, they like, they know the story, right? Everyone close to me knows this story, and it's played out for years, and it's like, dude, this could be the, this could finally be the culmination of this, you know, the everlasting story, you know? This could finally be, this could finally come to a head again for the millionth time, come to another head, and this could be the final head, right? This could be it. Um, and they wanted to see it. They wanted to witness it, right? It's like the Super Bowl. Um, and it's like, you go to one Super Bowl, you're like, well, I've seen the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it's gonna be different next time. And it's still gonna be just as exciting for different reasons. Um, so we're all getting hyped. We're getting stoked, right? Like we're, you know, listening to, uh, I don't even know, like the graduation album and our, and our mental, uh, headphones, like we're, we're getting there. Um, and she arrives obviously. And I had been corresponding with Annie. And so I, I knew where she was going to be seated, um, of course, Brian was stoked at this point. Brian is not necessarily as easily excitable as I am, but once he gets, once he gets to that level, he certainly, he can stay there. Right. I'm very, I'm more of a, um, uncommon wavelength, right? Like I, I can go up and down at any moment. Brian is sort of, you have to really work to get him there to the, to the top, but then he'll plateau and he'll stay there for a while. And so I knew where she was seated. And of course, Annie's giving me faces the whole time as she's walking up, um, and she's seated uh, again to my essentially my seven o'clock, right? My seven or eight o'clock behind my left shoulder. And she obviously sees me. I'm hard to miss, as I've said before, for different reasons. I'm a hard person to miss. I, I certainly fill a room. Um, and of course, Brian's there, and she sees us. I, I none of this is going to be an assumption about Josh, right? None of this. This isn't a Josh episode. None of this has to do with him. It doesn't. As far as I'm concerned, he wasn't present in this story, right? Which, you know, I'll psychoanalyze that later. Uh, but for better or for worse, she was she was seated that way. And she was seated uh, facing me, which I don't think she'd like because she eventually moved her seat to sort of face away from me, right? Which I noticed because I know all and I see all. I am uh, the thinker. I am the knower. But anyway, at this point, my friends are going off. The group chats are, are popping off. Everyone's saying things that they would say or would do. Everyone's, you know, very lively, which is some of the best conversation I've had with my friends in a long time, right? Like, everyone's pumped. Everyone's jacked. Everyone's everyone's yoked. Everyone's there. You know what I mean? Everyone is at the climax. Everyone is, is at the pre-workout. Their heart's pumping. Their veins are, you know, they're at the surface. Everyone is vascular right now. Everyone... It's there used to be this phrase on the show uh, workaholics. It was like make today or make tonight a tight butthole, and that was a reference to uh, like the adrenaline, like the excitement where you clench. It was like make tonight a tight butthole, and I think that everyone, whether they were in New Jersey or Pennsylvania or West Virginia or Maryland or Virginia, everyone was tight butthole because of how excited they were for the fact that I was within feet, within earshot of Ivy. Right, everyone's excited. 
And I'm like, in, I'm like overstimulated at this point. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm at this point where I, I can, I could hear a pin drop on Loudon street. That's how, you know, like hyper tuned my senses are. Um, I could smell a rat's fart, uh, <laughs> on, uh, boss Gowan. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, I'm there. And, but then I think to myself, like, well, I had to behave, right? Because I'm a, I'm an adult. I, I'm truly an adult. I um I, I'm going on 27. This relationship has been removed. Uh, you know, a number of years at this point. And I, I don't want to make a scene because I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass Brian. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of. I don't want to embarrass Annie, and I don't want to embarrass myself in front of Annie. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of Suki. But I don't want to embarrass Ivy either, right? Like, that's the problem here, and I'm going to take a step back for a moment because I'm not going to tell every single detail. I'm not going to give a minute-by-minute play-by-play. You know, this isn't a sports broadcast. So I'm not going to go deep into the analytics of that. It, it, this isn't, you know, a, a game cast play-by-play. This isn't ESPN. But I will say this. For better or for worse, I care a lot about Ivy, right? Everyone knows this. Everyone listening at this point, whether you know me intimately or are a stranger, a fan halfway across the globe in Eastern Europe or Africa, you know that I care about an individual named Ivy, right? And that is, like I said, for better or for worse, but I love this person, and I don't want to make them angry. I don't want to make them sad. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't want to make them, I don't want to put them in a position where they have to play defense. I certainly don't want to put her in a position where she has to play offense because I, she's tough. You know what I mean? Like she is, you know, (laughs) five feet and 130 pounds of kick ass. You know what I mean? She is, she'll open up a can of whoop ass on you and I don't want to put her in offense. Um, and again, I don't want to put her in defense. I don't want to I don't want to create a combative environment. I also don't want to create an uncomfortable or unhealthy or unsafe environment either. Because that's what love is. You know what I mean? That is that is what love is. That's that's the effort and consideration there. Because, and this is the thing, we both have reasons for and against those things. We have reasons to be upset and we have reasons not to be upset. And... I know that here's something, this is one of those things that is common in in relationships, the ending of relationships, and it's something that I have taken to heart, and it's it's the number one, it's the only rule on the podcast. And I have been made aware of some things that have been said about me by both of my most recent ex-girlfriends, which, you know, Cleo... That's another story. That's, I'm not going to get into that, right? Not going to get into those things. Um, Her and I are just very different. You know what I mean? But there's a common occurrence. Again, these aren't like super bad things, right? Like nothing that has been said about me, either publicly or privately, that has gotten back to me is something that I'm like, oh, I need a publicist or, oh, I need a lawyer. It's not like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's common things that are said about exes, about past partners, previous significant others. They're commonplace things that, while commonplace, are still harmful and hurtful. Simple as that, right? It's things that every every partner has said about their past partner, past lover, past whatever, 
at some point in their life. The hope or the point is that you hope that specific partners will be different. You hope that specific partners, specific relationships, the nature of specific relationships, you hope that certain things will be different because you would hope that logic and reasoning overcomes, you know, thinking with your heart rather than your head. You know what I mean? You would hope that, oh, yeah, you can have an emotional outburst, but you would hope that you can reason yourself out of it. But everyone knows you can't reason yourself out of something that you didn't reason yourself into, which is my, that's my conclusion for, for the things that happened with Cleo at the end of our relationship, right? It, it just wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, we just have different ways of conflict resolution. Her ways of conflict resolution are more traditional to Lance. I'm going to speak of myself at their person. They're more past Lance. Lance from, you know, five, six years ago. Methods of conflict resolution. I'm a different person now. I'm a whole new person now. And I have different views on conflict. I have different views on conflict resolution. And if this had been the old me, I think I could have handled the situation better. But the nature of the new me is I'm going to walk away. Right? That's the nature of the new me is I'm going to walk away. And I'm going to... But the walking away is I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do all that I can. I'm going to say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done, and I'm going to walk away. And if that's enough for you, if that's right for you, you'll accept it and we'll make it work. If not, you can walk away too. That method doesn't translate well to people who expect combat, right? Uh, <laughs> that's just that's just how it goes, right? People who expect combat don't do well with diplomacy. That's That's life. People who expect combat do not do well with diplomacy. And that's why that's not why our relationship ended. That's why it ended definitively, right? That's why that door closed permanently was because of that reason. And now with Ivy, in this specific circumstance, I've been made aware that she, back in May of 2020, uh, which was a difficult time for everyone, you know, again, I'm going to make excuses. I'm going to idolize. I'm going to pedestal this person because... I feel the way I do. May of 2020 was a difficult time for some people, for most people. And except for, I guess, Donald Trump. And she went onto Twitter, onto social media, and went on a long or an extended Twitter rant of connecting tweets that were slanderous and defamatory in nature regarding myself and our relationship, right? Just just to put it bluntly, I'm not going to get into detail. I'm not going to go over the things that were said. I'm sure that they're still present. I'm sure that they're still up and available. But she uh, publicly stated, declared uh, things about me and about us that were, uh, like I said, uh, slanderous and defamatory in nature. They were hurtful. Right, just straight up in layman's terms, and no need to be legal. They were hurtful. Um, they weren't entirely true, obviously. Um, you know, because you know the whole truth is the whole truth. Nothing but the truth is again a legal a legal standard that most people don't live with. Um, and when you are in that situation, when you're hurt, when you are 
you know, you're hurt or you feel like you're being attacked or for whatever reason, you're, you're going to defend yourself. You know, like if you put a bear in a corner, that bear's going to attack you. You know what I mean? You better, if you put your foot on the tiger's neck, you got to be prepared to either keep it there forever or be prepared for what's going to come once you lift your foot. You know what I mean? And I don't know exactly what brought it to happen. I don't know exactly why that day in particular, rather than I'm sure she had said plenty of mean, nasty, you know, um, (laughs) apprehensible, terrible things about me in the fall and winter of 2019, immediately following our breakup. I don't know why half a year later or more, I guess. uh, Yeah. About a little bit over half a year later, why on that specific day it, it came to, uh, fruition. Right. I don't know why it surfaced on that day, why it bubbled and boiled to the surface on that particular day. But the reason it was hurtful was I had just graduated from law school. That was what was hurtful. Right. The the reason obviously the things are bad, but people say bad things about me all the time. Right. I mean, people always have and always will. My own family has done so. Um, If I was if I was ever offended by the bad things people said about me, I probably wouldn't. I probably would have quit life at around six or seven years old when the woman that my father cheated on my mother on said certain things about me to myself and my mother and my family, right? So, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, words hurt, you know. But I'm used to it. it it's the, again, I say this often, I got this from debate, it's the medium, the medium is the message, right? The medium is the message. And the medium that she chose was social media while I was blocked regarding instances that she was months or years removed from about a person that had harmed her or hurt her emotionally that she was months removed from. Right? So this isn't, uh, you know, recollection recorded. This isn't, um, you know, her thoughts, feelings, emotions, in the moment as she's experiencing it, as she's observing it, these are things later that for something triggered her to say those things about me, right? Something that happened in the world, I can assume that it was a post or something I may have said either at, either before, during, after my graduation, regarding my graduation, regarding my personal growth, throughout the struggles of that spring semester of law school, that last semester of law school, something I said in a post on social media that got back to her that she saw that she took in a certain way that triggered her to say those things and go on such an aggressive rant at my expense. And again, these aren't things that I need to be like, oh, gasp, you know, clutch my pearls. I need to, you know, see a therapist, see a lawyer, see a priest. I don't, it, it's not like that. They're, common things but i didn't i guess i didn't expect it from her and i certainly didn't expect it at that time right i didn't expect it from her because again we're months removed from this relationship months removed and i don't again i'm not going to assume whether she i'm not going to assume the people that she ca- let's say casually dated post breakup right i have no way of knowing i have no possible or plausible way of knowing anything about her romantic life post breakup. 
But I do know that she had been in a relationship since we had broken up prior to that day. So there had been an entire relationship that had grown, developed, existed, and died, deceased in the time period between when we had broken up in the fall of 2019 and these aggressive posts in May of 2020. An entire other relationship. So something that I had said or done must have really struck a nerve, must have really struck a chord with her. That being said, I've let those things go. I've forgiven those things because I understand it. I have never, to my knowledge or to the knowledge of anyone intimately to, intimate to me, said or posted or done anything like that regarding her since our breakup. I have not I have never publicly shamed, publicly degraded, publicly bashed, publicly slandered or publicly tarnished the image of Ivy since our breakup in fall of 2019, which has been almost what, 2 years, 3 years, right? Going on 3 years, I guess. If anything, I have only hyped her up, talked well of her, you know, improved her image through what I've said about her on social media in that time period, in that time frame. If anything, I have glorified her, I have deified her, I've reified her, turned her into a god, a queen, and this beacon of, you know, womanhood and partnership for all of women, an example for all of women to take heed of, take headed of, heed, there's an office joke, but to take heed of, to take reference to, um, and to be like, right? I have, if anything, I've made her out to be the shining example of the perfect woman that everyone else should strive to be on social media while she has done quite literally the exact opposite. But I broke up with her. The the crime fits the punishment, right? Um, it'd be like that. It truly do be like that sometimes. The point is that recently I ran into Ivy in passing and we exchanged text messages in passing and it was very short. It was very cold. It was very, it, hurt, it was hurtful um, to me. And I decided to block her on everything. I decided to block her on everything, which included, you know, iMessage and iPhone um you know, so like you're block the whole contact, block the caller, block the messenger, block her phone number, block her email from my phone number and my email, block her on well, I can't I don't think I could block her on Facebook because she had already blocked me on Facebook. And with Facebook or Meta as it's called now, uh, you can only block accounts that you can have you have access to. So because you would have to sort of catch someone at the right moment, you know what I mean? Like, you would have to catch someone who had recently unblocked you to be able to block them. But I blocked her. Um, she'd blocked me on Twitter, but I could block her back on Twitter. Uh, I could block her on Instagram. Again, eventually on Facebook. Uh, and then I'm trying to think of anything else. But basically, all of all the phone access, all social media access, I blocked her. As I was doing so, as I was blocking her on these things, it was difficult, right? Because I was essentially admitting defeat. That's how I viewed it. I know everyone who's listening is like, that's not what that means. 
in any way you're too far removed. Like you've already lost if you're measuring it in terms of victory or defeat. You're, you've already lost, but it's not measured in victory or defeat. So that doesn't matter anyway, right? But I got to the point where I was, I had to block her number, which I did last. And the reason that was so difficult for me is because back in December, I had reached out to Ivy. I guess it was December, maybe January, I'd reached out to her. Because we had had this these weird interactions. It was just, I had a lot going on in my life. And I was upfront with her. And, and a lot of people don't know this. This is a secret that I, this is, you know, new information. This is something I'm admitting to the world for the first time. Is that I reached out to her and I told her exactly how I felt. I said, I love you. I have loved you. I love you today. I loved you yesterday. And I'll love you tomorrow until the end of time. I will always love you. And I want to be with you. And I have, it has been so difficult for me over these years because I felt like I, I couldn't get over this. I, I, and I may never get over it. And I, you, I, I had the opportunity to use my father's death as a way to publicly mourn and publicly grieve something that you usually cannot or are not allowed to publicly mourn and grieve because of its nature, right? You cannot, you cannot end a relationship or have a relationship ended. You cannot break up with someone, whether you do the breakup or not, and then mourn or grieve the ending of that relationship for a number of reasons, right? You can't post a picture of someone Without, you know, like, you can't be like, oh, I love this person so much, here's a picture of us together, and you haven't been dating for eight months to a year, right? That's fucking creepy as fuck. Um, and you also don't want to, there's there's a whole plethora of reasons, there's a whole encyclopedia of reasons why you, you can't publicly mourn a relationship, unless it's like a death, right? If, if you're like a widow, or a widower, or you lost your fiancé, or your significant other, you can publicly mourn that. You cannot publicly mourn someone who is alive, who doesn't love you or doesn't want you anymore. You just can't. Uh, and I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. Um, but we live in a society, which I hate to say because I'm not the joker, but we do. We live in a society. We have mores and we have folkways, and it that is a, that is deviant, right? It is deviant to publicly mourn a relationship. But because the death of my father occurred around the same time that it was really hitting me that I made a mistake and that I regretted that decision, I could publicly mourn my father in a way that was ambiguous so that I was both mourning him and his loss as well as the loss of Ivy. And I admitted that to her, which it took a lot of pride. It took a lot of overcoming a lot of pride to say that because I had never said that to anyone. Over the last two years, I had not said that. I had not said that to anyone. I said it to her, and I said, "This is the truth. This is how I feel. This, this is the biggest regret of my life. It's something that will weigh on me for the rest of my life." And you know, I hope that you know. I hope I find you. It's like PJ Morton said, "I hope I find you in another life, so we can fall again and be the way we were when we first began." And I, I said, you know what? You know where to find me. I love you. I'll always love you. I want you. I'll always want you. You know where to find me. And she didn't really respond. Which she didn't need to. I didn't need her to respond. I needed her to know that. I needed her to know that. Because I didn't want to die the next day and her not know how I felt or her question how I felt. 
And I didn't want to go the rest of my life, the next, you know, 40, 50 years in that sort of ambiguity of her not knowing how I felt in case she ever felt the same. I didn't need her to respond. I needed her to know that the door was unlocked. And she didn't really respond. And I don't regret it. I think that it was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life was to do that because it was sort of, to me, all I could do to sort of make recompense of the worst decision of my life, which was breaking up with her. Which it was necessary, and I'll get into that later if I have time. But the point is, it was difficult for me to block her phone number because I had to admit that I was closing the door to her ever responding to that message. What helped me to get to go through with it, what helped me to do it, was remembering those tweets. You know what I mean? This is January of 2022. I guess, I, I'm trying to think when I did that. No, this is more recent. So this is March of this year, and I'm thinking back to, so March 2022, I'm thinking back to May of 2020, two years prior to those tweets and to those, you know, slanderous things that she said about me, those harmful things. And that is what was sort of my motivation to finally go through with it. The point of that story is that when I saw her and when I was in this room with her, for one reason or another, which I'd like to talk about later, I decided to undo those actions. I decided that it was in my best interest Days, literally days removed, maybe a week removed from having blocked her on everything to go ahead and undo those actions. I thought it was in my best interest. And so I did. And the night proceeded, the night went on, right? We had dinner and Brian and I couldn't really eat because we were so worked up. We were so excited. We couldn't really, we didn't have a settled stomach to put food on. And we knew that if we put food on it, it certainly would not settle. So we enjoyed our drinks. I ordered uh, two two shots of Maker's Mark for the both of us, right? So four shots total, if you want to do the math there. Two shots a piece of Maker's Mark, right? Which is, in this family, we drink bourbon, you know, at a profit if we can, at a loss if we must, but always good bourbon. And we enjoyed those shots of Maker's Mark, which is the family staple, right? And we just had a great evening, Um and I'm going to take a drink right here, so I apologize for the, the drinking sound. I'm sure that you guys hate that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, just some other notes about that night. Um, let's see. The table that's set on the elevated platform where the pool table and the shuffleboard table uh, is located uh, was a number of people that we went to high school with, right? So myself and Ivy and Annie, we all went to high school with these people. Uh, shout out to Tommy Sheroop, uh, Seth Bridgeforth, and, you know, I want to give my condolences to uh, Seth Bridgeforth and his family. I graduated with, with his older brother, Sean, who I graduated with. I think Seth was in the class of 2016, uh, my condolences to the Bridgeforth family for recently losing uh, their grandmother. So I'm really sorry for that. Um, I wish you, I wish you well. Um, and then Megan Gaynor, right? And so I do want to talk about Megan Gaynor for a second before I get back into um, some of the other stuff. So Megan Gaynor uh, is again a classmate of mine. She played soccer at Hanley. She, you know, whatever. She her family sort of embodies Hanley pride in the best way possible. 
And I have a bit of a crush on Megan Gaynor, right? Which I didn't really in high school for a number of reasons, mostly because I had, have, and always will have a crush on Grace Valinsky, um, which, you know, again, something else. But so I, I was kind of focused on Grace uh, in high school um, and, and how infatuated I am with her. Um, but I've developed a crush on Megan Gaynor because she, too, loves Dave Matthews Band. Right, and I noticed I said Dave Matthews Band and not the Dave Matthews Band, but she too loves Dave Matthews Band, and she recently uh, bought a camper for a restoration project. She's going to do like a a DIY restoration of this pop up camper, and she intends for it to be ready so that she can travel and camp out for one of uh, for a Dave Matthews concert this summer, a concert that I am also attending. Right. So she wants to restore this camper herself so that she can glamp, I guess, as they say, glamour camp, uh, whatever, uh, at this Dave Matthews show, which is totally sick, right? And I developed sort of an infatuation or a crush on her because we seem to have similar interests, similar values, um, and all that. But she would never be interested in me just because that's how life works. But anyway, I thought that was funny that, you know, Suki is there, the good karma, Suki is there. Ivy is there, and then Megan Gaynor is there, right? And, of course, Annie, uh, but, you know, rest in, rest in peace. Uh, I love Annie, but, you know, it'd be like that. Anyway, I just thought it was funny that those three women were there because it's like the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future all in one place, and I thought about a Christmas story or a Christmas carol theme, and I was like, eh, it's March. It's kind of a stretch. But, again, past, present, and future. So... Back to the main plot. We have a great time. We all enjoy the drag show. Again, I love drag. I love bingo. I kind of have a slight gambling problem, I think. I really, I have this thing where I I believe bingo to be a game of skill rather than a game of chance. And both games that I lost, um, the number that I needed was N36, which 36 is my favorite number. It's the magic number. It's my license plate, right? DMB 36. For the song number 36, which is now every day, um, which, of course, is the song I associate with the loss of my father. Uh, It's sort of the song that got me through the stages of grief regarding my father. And I sing it all the time. It, it, you know, reminds me of him and reminds me how far I've come. And so for it to be his birthday and and he used to go to bingo with my mom and my grandparents on both my mom and my dad's side. They all used to go to bingo like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday bingos. Um, it would be, you know, my mom, my dad, Momo, Paul, Paul, uh, Sue and Willie, you know, Peggy, all of them, like all of my, my parents and grandparents on both sides would go to bingo. So I'm playing bingo on my dad's birthday. And the number that I need is number 36. It just felt very, um, it's truly the beauty of life, right? It felt, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, serendipitous. It was very serendipitous, right? It was just, it just had to be that way, and so it was. Um, a special moment right there. So, you know, we all have a good time, and um, I'm not going to get into too much detail uh, about the meal, about the bingo, about, you know, all that. But I had to use the bathroom. I had to use the restroom uh, once, which, you know, that happens in life. <laughs> And I was so afraid to because I had to turn around and come back to our table facing Ivy. And I didn't know what or how to do that, right? 
there's no way for me to know what or how to do or how to respond to that because I don't want to make direct eye contact. I feel like that's too aggressive. That's not assertive. That's aggressive. That's awkward. She could like flip me off and then it would start like an altercation or Josh would be like, why'd you flip that random guy off or whatever? But he probably knew it was me, right? I mean, I assume it would be, I would be hard pressed to be in a restaurant almost directly next to my ex or previous significant other and not explain to the person I was with the context of the situation. Well, that's just me, right? I talk a lot, uh, and it would come up. So I didn't want to make eye contact, but I also didn't want to like look up at the ceiling, like a fucking idiot, right? You know what I mean? Like I'm looking up at the sky, like, Oh, like, Oh, great lights. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to look like an idiot either. Uh, I didn't want to like look at my watch because she knows that I don't do that. You know what I mean? Like she knows me well enough to know I don't do that. I didn't want to look at my phone because again, she knows that that's purposeful. I I do that, but that's also purposeful. So I just kind of looked down and smiled because I, she makes me smile. You know what I mean? Uh, That's just how it goes. And then eventually she left her and Josh left before I did. Thankfully, thank God. And, um, that was pretty much it, you know, paid my tab. It was a pretty good amount for all the alcohol that we consumed. Uh, <laughs> had a great time at bingo, got to the car made by now infamous Instagram stories about the evening, about running into Ivy, about all of that, you know, good stuff about the, my message to the Delaware law school class of 2020 now infamous. Uh, and then I, I headed home. And some things I will say before I, so we're about, we're at an hour and 50 minutes, which is pretty good. That's, that's kind of where I wanted to be before I jump into the conclusion is I do want to say some things, right? Which obviously I've said a lot. So I know that she saw my Instagram stories definitively. I know, right? Like I have my suspicions Um, and I can, you know, deduce a reason that she has or does listen to this podcast, but I know definitively that she observed my Instagram stories and that's fine. I also know that for whatever reason, her best friend also viewed and observed these Instagram stories. I assume, I also assume in this same line of reasoning, I thought that her mom and her sister are likely aware of this as well. Either they observe them or are aware of them as well. I'm sure that they're aware of what happened, right? That's just how it be. Uh, that's the, that's, you know, the forces at, at B, I guess. And so I, the point that I want to make about that is that I, it's not that I want that, right? That's not my desired outcome. I don't make these stories. I don't make these posts. I don't make these episodes of this podcast for her or for her to listen to or for other people to listen to and then get back to her. I don't do that. If I did, they would be totally different, right? I don't think that if I was making this podcast specifically about another young lady that I'm infatuated with, I would do so if I was trying to make something specifically for one person, right? That being said, I'm not opposed to it either. I'm truly, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm indifferent, but I'm, I'm as in close, I'm as close to indifferent as I can be when it comes to her viewing my content, my post, my social media. And here's why, right? 
Here's the why as to why I don't mind that she saw my post. I don't mind that her best friend watched them. I don't mind that her family knows. It's because I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide, right? Everyone knows how I feel. Everyone is aware of my thoughts, feelings, and emotions regarding that situation. And not only do I have nothing to hide, but I'm a free man, right? I'm, you know, single, which is kind of funny to say for better or for worse. I'm single, uh, so I'm not tied down. I'm not talking to anyone. I don't have any partners or I don't have any sneaky links, as they say. I don't have any sexual partners currently. I don't have anyone that I'm trying to court. Uh, I don't have anyone that is trying to court me. I don't know if anyone is interested, but they haven't really made that explicitly clear. I have no woman in my life that would be opposed or, or has the has the right, I should say. I have plenty of women in my life that are opposed to this. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to them, right? I have plenty of women in my life who are opposed to me talking about this, especially publicly on this podcast. I have no women that have the definitive right to be opposed to it, right? There's no woman that I'm dating or, or seeing or whatever who is like, hey, I'm your woman, and the fact that you talk about another woman on your podcast or on social media leads me to question the nature, the integrity of our relationship. I have no one, I'm not in a relationship where this questions the integrity of that relationship, right? This, they're completely exclusive. They're mutually exclusive. My relationship with others and my relationship with Ivy or this this podcast. So I really don't care. I have nothing to hide and I have no one to impress, no one that I, I care to impress. And so that would lead you to think that I'm different. But, you know, I, I say that I'm not totally indifferent because I am glad that she observes them. I, I'm glad that she watches them. I'm glad that she listens to this podcast because if I was her in any situation... I would want to I would want to know. I would want to know and I not only would I want to know if I was in that situation, but even if I wasn't, I would still want to hear it, right? Like no one is going to be opposed to someone talking about how much they love you repeatedly on a 2 or 3 hour podcast special or on these posts on social media for the last 2 years even when you're not giving them anything, right? Especially when you're not giving them anything, right? Like imagine that you give not only do you give someone nothing, but you can like badmouth them or trash talk them or throw them under the bus or sweep them under the rug or you throw dirt on their name and they will still post about how much they love you and how much they want you over years removed from the relationship. You know what I mean? Anyone would want that. I want that. I want that for me. I want to find someone who I'm not with, even if I'm with someone else or if I'm not with them who, you know, ca- both casually but also routinely post about how amazing I am. I want that when I'm in a relationship, let alone when I'm out of it. You know what I mean? And so I understand it, right? There's no part of me that I, we're human. And we're human and we get addicted to things. And we get addicted to feeling good. And I understand if her only reason for observing these things is the good feeling she gets that someone wants her and especially someone who wants her when she does nothing. If that's her only reason, then that's fine because I understand it. You know what I mean? 
Like people want to be wanted. People want to be loved. People want to be desired. People want to be recognized. People want to be talked about in a positive light or like I said, you know, deified or reified. People want to be made out to be more than they are. And if her only reason for observing my materials is a confidence boost, so be it. Because it doesn't affect me positively or negatively. It doesn't affect me at all. If anything, it helps me get these things out that, that weigh on me. And on the other side of it, it's, you know, it, for whatever reason, like if, if, if I can just do something naturally or something basically that just, you know, just does or just is, and it helps someone or improves someone or makes someone happy or makes someone feel better, that's even better, right? Because that's that should be your purpose in life, is to do you, and it's great if someone enjoys it. So that's fine. If that's the foundation. If it's anything more than that, it's even more of a win for me, right? Like, if it, if it for any reason at all, is anything more than just the satisfaction of the immediate gratification. If it's more than just the immediate gratification, for better or for worse, just more, right? That's like, that's not the positive extreme. That's the the center, right? That's that's the the vertex. That's that's truly, you know, the, the absolute zero point, or that's the zero point. And so, you know, for better or for worse, if it's anything past that or integral past that, then that's a win, right? I mean, that's, you don't think about people or you don't check in on people that you don't think about and you don't think about people that you don't care about. You know what I mean? So if she listens because she hates me or believes that she hates me and wants to listen to get all the dirt, get the scoop, you know, through the grapevine, that's great. That means that I'm still living rent-free in her mind. And if it's the other extreme, which I'm not going to say, because I'm not going to put that out there, I don't, again, I want to paint people in the best positive light that includes her relationship. I'm not going to suggest the other thing, but I'm just saying that if it is the other thing, that's even better. So I really don't care, right? I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit if her best friend watches my stuff, because I know, I know what Katie thinks, right? Like, (laughs) I'm going to, I know what Katie thinks, um... But I don't know if Katie knows what I think of her, right? And I've talked about this. I have mentioned this on the show, what I think about Katie. Um, And it's positive for those who don't know or for those who need a summary. It's very positive, right? My feelings towards the people in Ivy's life are all very positive. And whether that's rose-colored glasses or whether that's hindsight or whatever, it doesn't really matter because it is. It exists. You know what I mean? There is no past, there's no future, there's now, as they say. So, uh, you know, I know what Katie thinks of me, or at least I have an idea of what Katie thinks of me. I don't know if she knows exactly or explicitly what I think of her. I think that those differ. Uh, I think that she probably thinks that I hate her because I think she hates me. But in reality, I think she hates me, but I love her, right? And, of course, I love Tim, right? Tim's the dude, uh, which I've talked about. Again, I mentioned that in another another episode. Um I love Katie and Tim. I, I love Ivy's family, you know, and I obviously have feelings for Ivy. The point is, I don't care if she listens. I don't care if her mom listens. I don't care if her grandma listens. I don't care if, if Sydney listens. I don't give a shit because this is my story, right? This is my life too. And I'm speaking about my perspective. I'm speaking about my thoughts, feelings, and emotions. 
and I'm speaking about them in a way that is not, you know, detrimental. It's not harmful. It's not, I'm not going, getting on here and bashing these people. You know what I mean? If anything, I am, I'm giving them more than maybe they should get. You know what I mean? But that's just how I feel, and I want to be honest and genuine. So when it comes to the fact that I know that she definitively and her friend definitively, but I assume that her as a, as a unit, let's call them a unit, I know that Ivy has witnessed my stories. I know that she has somewhat of an idea about how I felt about that night. This podcast is to clarify and expand on that. The purpose of this episode is to clarify and expand on my Instagram stories from that night. So we're at two hours, two hours and 36 seconds, of course. Uh, And I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to collect my thoughts and we're going to move forward with, I guess, truly what I think and feel about, about this evening. So thank you for tuning in sincerely, deeply from the bottom of my heart. I mean it. I appreciate my friends, my family, my fans, the people, my active listeners, my new listeners, you know, I just, it means a lot to me. So thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around through two hours of me babbling on about the past. And I, I love you all dearly. I truly, I love you and appreciate you from the bottom of my heart, bushel and a peck, and I'll be right back. So peace.